Well, hey, can I uh, just say, uh, bring you my uh, New Year's greetings? Can you believe 2023 is nearly done? And what a year it's been. Probably all of us as we sit here uh, in this room and for this service that's also being recorded and for those that will maybe watch it a little bit later on. Now, 2023 has uh, probably been a year of lots of different emotions for all of us. Uh, Some highlights, there's been maybe in some uh, tough moments as well too. Uh, But in the midst of all of that, uh, we serve a faithful God who's sovereign, who's in control of all things. And for that, uh, we can be really grateful for. Can I just uh, echo Donna's words and say thank you for your ministry here in this place. Uh, I know uh, we, can't do, we couldn't do what we do around this uh, wonderful church that's been in existence for 170 years without it being filled with faithful men and women who utilize their gifts, who give generously of their resources to uh, ensuring that there is a vibrant, vital witness that goes out of uh, Bendigo Baptist Church in whatever expression, whether it's out of our Eagle Hawk campus, our soon-to-be city campus, our Juniden campus, out of our community care and our ministry in the city as well too. Uh, So thank you. Uh, I've loved our theme this year, Whatever It Takes. I think it's been very appropriate uh, for our 170th year. And I just want to encourage you, uh, there are still opportunities there if you want to sow into that uh, uh, fund that we established for church planting and renewal at the end of this year. uh, That sits out there. Uh, Just direct your gifts towards that uh, through our online giving. Uh, That would be much appreciated as well too. Well, today I want to bring us a message with a biblical perspective that's related to the current events that are unfolding within Israel. Now, you might think, Dave, why in the world would you want to tackle such a topic? That thought has crossed my mind the last few days as well, too, as I've uh, sat in my office, as I've thought about it, as I've read widely, as I've considered, what is it that I bring uh, to share? There's a couple of reasons why I want to do this today. Firstly, I think it's worth stating from the beginning that the Bible is a book about Israel. It records things that have happened historically within Israel, And it records things that will occur prophetically within within Israel in the the, the coming years. This book uh, tells us that God gave this world a saviour, and his name is Jesus, who was born in Israel, died in Israel, rose again in Israel, and if you haven't realised, is coming once again to Israel as well. So God is not done with Israel. But second... Well, many of you will know that Julie and I happened to be in Israel when this current war erupted. Now, uh, it wasn't because I turned up in Israel that this war erupted, (laughs) but we happened to be there on a biblical tour. Our tour was actually coming to an end. Uh, We had just left Jerusalem on the Friday and had traveled north to uh, the Galilee region, and we were there on the Saturday morning. We were having breakfast when news came our way that Israel was under attack. Can I say in that moment that that uh, was a very surreal, sobering moment to be in a country that suddenly a barbaric attack was unleashed upon them. 24 hours later, we were back in Tel Aviv and as our tour group flew out on the Monday morning, Julie and I returned back into Jerusalem uh, because our flights weren't uh, until later that week. And for the next few days, uh, we lived and experienced, albeit in a very small way, and I want to just say that because... We did not experience anything of what happened down there in, southern, uh, in the southern Israel. But we lived with the reality of ending up in some uh, bomb shelters on a couple of occasions as rockets came in. Uh, 
And then as we flew out of the airport on the Wednesday night, uh, uh, something that I will never forget, the reality of actually finding myself with two or 3,000 other people on the floor of the Ben-Gurion airport as rockets were exploding over that airport. In that moment, what was surreal became very real and uh, it gave me just a small taste, us both a small taste of what life is like for people who live within Israel. As I've come back to this country, I've watched the narrative shift uh, around the globe and I've been appalled by it. I had a conversation with a, a tradie just a couple of days after I, I had landed back here at the front of my house. He'd asked me what I'd been up to. Started a conversation about being overseas in Greece, Turkey, Israel. And within a very short period of time, he said, mate, I don't even want to know anything about that. You see, that's part of the response that we have often towards things that are kind of happening away from us. Seems so far, so removed, doesn't seem to make much sense to us. And so our response is, you know what, hey, what happens in the Middle East stays in the Middle East. But does it? It doesn't stay in the Middle East. It's spilled over right into things around the globe, which I'll mention in just a moment. And so uh, the second reason for why I thought, you know what, something needs to be said about this is that I truly believe God placed Julie and I in that place for such a time as this. And it has given me an even greater love and passion for uh, our Jewish people, uh, people in the country of Israel. And I thought, you know what, something needs to be said into the misinformation, uh, into the false narrative that continues to keep spreading out around the globe and something needs to be said. And so uh, how does one tackle such a conversation? Knowing that even within this room, there will be a, a polarisation of opinions. Well, I thought the best way to tackle this was to uh, devote the next few moments to answering four what I think are really important questions. To be doing this from a biblical worldview, the four questions are, who or what is Hamas? Why do so many people seem to hate Israel? The question of, well, whose land is it? You hear that one kind of battle, you know, thrown around, don't you? Uh, you know, whose land is it? Israel, they're just occupiers. And last but not least, why would we even stand with Israel? Those are the four questions. But before we get there, let me just kind of set the scene for us. And I'm conscious that uh, there are a bunch of young people here in this room, so I'm going to be very careful about what I say today. But on Saturday, October the 7th, a terrorist organisation called Hamas entered southern Israel from the Gaza Strip. If you don't know where the Gaza Strip is, uh, you'll see it on the screens in just a moment. It will help you to kind of position that. Where Hamas massacred, let's use that word, where they massacred 1,200-plus innocent people, wounded thousands of individuals, and carried off over 240 hostages, infants, children, women, and the elderly, into the bowels of Gaza. And what was the cause of this barbaric attack? Had Israel committed some atrocity within Gaza provoking such a retaliation? No. It was nothing more than a violent attack fueled by an intense hatred towards the country of Israel and the Jewish people. 
And while Israel was napping, Hamas seized an opportunity in the early hours of that Saturday morning. They unleashed an attack upon thousands of individuals that is best described as pure evil. As pictures and video footage begin to emerge, and we've all seen it, it's fair to say that a watching world was initially outraged by the evil that was unjustifiably perpetrated upon these innocent civilians. But over the past couple of months, as Israel has sought to rightfully defend itself, secure the release of all hostages, and eradicate a terrorist group from within Gaza so as to ensure the freedom of both Palestinians and Jewish individuals, the narrative towards Israel has surely shifted. I remember sending a text out to a good friend of mine who currently has just flown back into Israel to help with some of the efforts there. And uh, I said, uh, I won't be surprised that over the coming months we watch this narrative begin to shift away from a lack of support towards Israel, and that's what we are seeing. Countries are now expressing their outrage towards Israel. Around the world, people are gathering in demonstrations, chanting hate and destruction towards Israel and the Jewish people. I've got to say, I find that very difficult to understand in this country. As I flew back into this country and I was watching what was happening, I, 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 I felt so incensed at this point by some of the anti-Semitic language. From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. People... The reality is that people often don't know what they're saying. Young people leaving school, demonstrating in our cities, slogans just like that. I, as I landed in this country, I sent Jacinta Ellen an email on my phone. I was feeling a little bit outraged. I congratulated her on her uh, success as the, the new Premier of the State of Victoria. But I, I mentioned to her, she knows who I am, and I mentioned to Jacinta, I said, Jacinta, this is where my wife and I have been just over the, the past uh, few weeks, and uh, I, I was remarking with my wife and expressing how great it is to live in this country where none of this kind of rubbish seems to happen. And I said, Jacinta, I am appalled to think that we are allowing this kind of rhetoric to happen within this, and like you, I would hope that you're going to be stamping all of this out. You see, what we've watched now happen in this country is that what is good is, you know, what, what was once uh, good is now described as evil and evil is now described as good. And you've got to ask yourself, what in the world is going on? Even in the past week, uh, the United Nations rejected a proposal for a conflict resolution. So member countries of the United Nations, there's some... 160 plus countries that make up the United Nations, they rejected a proposed conflict resolution that came from the, came from the United States asking that the words uh, or that there be at least a condemnation of Hamas uh, in any call for a future ceasefire. And it was rejected. See, all the world saw what these terrorists did. Their own cameras proudly displayed their horrendous crimes and yet uh, member countries of the United Nations still refused to condemn Hamas for this barbaric attack. You've got to ask yourself, what does all this mean? What do we believe about this? And how do we even as followers of Jesus, how do we respond? 
to a country like Israel and this ongoing conflict? Well, this entire world has been impacted by this conflict. What happens in the Middle East doesn't stay in the Middle East. And so how do we respond? You know, I think it's really important today that as uh, I speak this message and then as we have any ongoing conversations, that we do it with the, with the right heart and the right spirits. And what's the right spirit? I think the right spirit's found in the Gospel of Matthew and the words that Jesus uttered on the Sermon of the Mounts. He said these words, and let me just uh, uh, share them with you. They're on the screens. Jesus said, You have heard the law that says, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives you sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even the corrupt tax collectors do that much. And if you're kind only to your friends, how are you any different from anyone else? Even the pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Can I say just on the outset of this message that that has to be the tone for this conversation today? And so to those of us in this room who might be watching at some point, to those... uh, to those of us that love Israel and the promises of God to its people, it's incumbent upon us today to be praying for the Palestinians, to pray that God would protect innocent people caught up in this fighting, that God would bring a quick end to this conflict, and that God would bring salvation to Hamas and to all the enemies of Israel. God has a huge heart for all the peoples in the world, not just the Israelis. He has a huge heart that all the peoples in this world would prosper and that they would come to a knowledge of who he is as the Messiah. And to those of us that might find ourselves leaning with sympathy towards the Palestinians, the Bible is also clear that we need to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And if we don't pray for those that disagree with us or love those that we find ourselves in conflict with, then as the Bible says, we're no better than the pagans. So we need to pray for the salvation of Israel for the safe return of hostages and for the protection of the Jewish people. This, can I say, is our biblical mandate and what we are called by Jesus to model as we engage in this conversation. So with, this, with that said, hey, let's dive into some of those questions this morning. Beginning with the first question, who or what is Hamas? Hamas is a terrorist organisation made up of Sunni Muslims that have ruled the Gaza Strip since 2006. Hamas, the name of the organisation, is an acronym which, when translated, stands for Islamic Resistance Movements. So it's an acronym that they have used uh, since uh, that period of time, but the word Hamas in Arabic means zeal or strength. And it's interesting to note that the word Hamas is also found in Hebrew. It's spelled C-H-A-M-A-S. And it's found right up in the book of Genesis in the very early days as it tries to explain why God brought a flood upon the earth. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 11, it says, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of Hamas, full of violence. Seems like a very appropriate word that still seems to describe what's going on today. Now, as a terrorist organisation, Hamas does not care about anyone or anything that stands in the way of their mission, which is to kill Jews and wipe Israel off the map. Now, if you think, Dave, you're being a little bit over the top by all of this, 
It's I am not. Let me give you some evidence for this. Hamas, which was founded in Gaza in 1987 by a Palestinian cleric, they established a covenant that outlines the stated aims of their organisation. And the Hamas covenant in the opening paragraph, it reads this. Israel will exist and will continue to exist until Islam will obliterate it, just as it obliterated others before it. Friends, this is not fake news. This is not something that I'm making up today just to support an argument that I've got that's anti-Hamas. Hamas is not hiding behind their stated goals. They proudly displayed to a watching world what they were doing. And so this is their intended goal of wiping Israel off the map and replacing it with an Islamic state. Hence this anti-Semitic language, this rhetoric that we see from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, it is nothing more than Hamas rhetoric. It is genocide. You know, just the other day I was driving in Bendigo. I was passing uh, the... the uh, the office of our federal member, Lisa Chester's right there on the corner. As I shot past, a whole bunch of people gathered there and at the corner of my eye I realised, there's some Palestinian flags. So I did a block, I came back around, I pulled in and, and lo and behold, yes, a bunch of uh, protesters right there in that space. And what was the rhetoric that was sitting right there on our own streets? Well, it was from the river to the sea. Palestine will be free. Anti-Semitic language right here in this, uh, this town that we love. And Hamas will not stand in the way, or they will, not, they will kill anyone who stands in the way of them from them accomplishing their mission. And not just the Jews, it's obvious that they have little regard for their own Palestinian people as well. Otherwise, they wouldn't establish and coordinate control centres in key civilian areas, such as residential buildings, hospitals, schools, and even their own mosques. The media is showing us that they have done all of this. And throughout the battle, they've even used innocent people as their own human shields, so that it would provide some wonderful optics uh, when Palestinian civilians are caught in any retaliatory attacks from the IDF. See, Hamas does not care about anyone or anything that stands in the way of their mission of killing Jews and wiping Israel off the map. Hamas, let's be honest, is a demonic ideology. We have to be clear about this. So when people are out there and they're holding up flags and banners saying, Palestine, you know, free Palestine, free Palestine. Really what these banners should be saying is free Palestine from Hamas is what the banners should be saying. Because they are the ones who are directly responsible for all the suffering. So here's the second question. Why do so many people then hate Israel? Because I want to say today that it's not just Hamas that hates Israel. There's an entire ring of fire that uh, is vehemently opposed to Israel. You know, this is the question that sits in the mind of a whole bunch of people today. You know, why is Israel, why is there so much vitriol and enmity towards Israel? Well, uh, there, are, there are all kinds of reasons. There'll be political reasons, religious reasons, ideological reasons, but let me give you some biblical and spiritual reasons for why this is the case. You see, you can trace 
the answer to that question all the way back to some animosity that's found in the book of Genesis. Early up in the book of Genesis, God told Abraham, uh, a man who uh, uh, was married to Sarah, who didn't have any kids, he promised him that he was going to turn him into a great nation. Uh, and uh, Abraham wondered how God was going to do that. For, for years after years, there were still no children. And so what did Abraham do? We are told that uh, in a moment of the flesh, he slept with Hagar, a slave woman from Egypt, who was not a part of God's plan. And she gave him a son, Ishmael. A little later on, God had a, uh, sorry, Abraham had a son of the covenant, and his name was Isaac. And ever since that period of time, there have been two uh, groups in conflict with each other. The descendants of Ishmael are the Arabs, and the descendants of Isaac are the Jewish people. And this fight or this conflict really can be boiled right down in a nutshell simply to a feud uh, of jealousy over God's promises that were directed towards Abraham to the Israelites and not to the Ishmaelites. That's in essence where this all stems from. But to be even more specific, the overt hatred of groups like Hamas, Hezbollah in Lebanon. Can I just say Hezbollah? Uh, We think that Hamas uh, are are a group to be feared. Hezbollah in the north, in southern Lebanon, uh, are much more to be feared than Hamas. They say that uh, on this day, uh, well, we know that Israel, there is a skirmish already on that northern border, uh, uh, Hezbollah firing rockets into that location. They say that Hezbollah has somewhere in the vicinity of 150 to 200,000 missiles at this moment in time pointed directly at Israel. And these individuals, these, this terrorist group, uh, is 10 times to be feared than what Hamas is. You know, why is it groups like Hamas and Hezbollah and then the Houthis out of Yemen down south? Then you've got mobs like uh, Iraq and uh, Syria and then the, the puppet master of them all, Iran, controlling all of this. Why is there so much hatred towards them? Well, uh, not only is it coming out of what I initially said, but it's demonic. I think it's worth just noting that this is something that Satan incites in the hearts of individuals, nations, and groups of people. Why is that? Because Satan is vehemently opposed to the redemptive plan of God's. He's opposed to what was revealed through the nation of Israel. You go all the way back to the book of Genesis. Again, you know the stories that unfolds. Humanity needed a savior, so God chose Abraham. A Gentile, not even a Jewish person. Uh, He was a gentle from what we would now know to be modern-day Iraq, grew up in there, and God gave him a promise by which he would deliver this saviour. It was through the seed of this one man that a race or a people would be born, the nation of Israel. And ultimately, through the race of this people would come a Messiah, a saviour not only for the Jews, but for all the peoples of the world. Why is that? Because God uh, wants everyone to know that he loves them. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him, not just the Jews, not just the Arabs, that whoever believes in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. Satan has always hated this plan. And because the plan was centered and located within Israel, Satan has done and continues to do everything he possibly can to obstruct the redemptive plan of God's. So why do so many people hate Israel? Put simply, the anti-Semitism that we're witnessing around the globe in the end is just purely demonic. It's Satanism. 
It's a spiritual conflict. Yes, well, the war is a physical conflict. But what lies behind it is a spiritual undertone, and Satan is inciting the hatred of the hearts of the people, even, sadly, even people here in Australia. You know, the prayer of Asaph in Psalm 83 probably captures, I think, the spiritual nature of this conflict really well. It says, O God, do not be silent. Do not be deaf. Do not be quiet, O God. Don't you hear the uproar of your enemies? Don't you see that your arrogant enemies are rising up? These are words that were being written at that point to describe what was going on in that country at that point in time. But prophetically, they speak into our same day today. The psalmist goes on to say they devise crafty schemes against your people. They conspire against your precious ones. Come, they say, let us wipe out Israel as a nation. We will destroy the very memory of its existence. Why do so many people hate Israel? Well, Satan is opposing what God is doing for and through his people. And whether it's Israel or whether it's the local church, Satan roams around like a roaring lion seeking to devour the people of God. Friends, this is a spiritual conflict. It is. And I think it's fair to say that the spirit of Hamas that we see in the book of Genesis, we are still seeing today being demonstrated in the Middle East and all around the globe. These are violent times. Now, the populist view regarding why all of these little proxy groups of Iran have attacked Israel is simply because people believe that Israel are occupiers that they're in some land that is not rightfully theirs to have. So that leads us probably into, quite naturally, into the third question, whose land really is it? And I want to help us today think about this a little bit because uh, historically, uh, the narrative that says that it's not their land is just not true. And let me show you what I mean. See, if you know history, you'll know that the Jewish people are not occupiers. They're actually indigenous people uh, of this land. They've been there for thousands of years. Biblical and archaeological evidence supports the fact that Jewish people were here in this land 2,100 years before this land was ever called Palestine. Think about that. And they were living in this land for 2,600 years before Islam was ever acknowledged as a religion. But here's why others claim this is their land. See, from 586 BC, when the Babylonians besieged Israel, until 1948 AD, when Israel uh, rightfully was reasserted back into their own homelands, the Jews were dispersed from their lands. They were pushed all around those parts of the globe, and they were marginalised, they were killed, uh, and so uh, that's, that's what life was like for them for nearly 2,500 years. Now, there are a few faithful ones that managed to live still within that area that we know to be Israel today, but in reality, for that group of people, they became occupiers. And who became the occupiers during that period? Well, let's start with the Babylonians. Then there was the Persians and the Greeks. Then the Romans. And then the Byzantines. Then the Arab Islamic Empire. Then the Catholic Crusaders. Then the Mamelukes. Then the Ottomans. And finally, there was even the British Empire. Is it any wonder that people today are confused as to who rightfully owns this land when there's been so many uh, warring nations that have kind of come and gone during that period of time? And where does the word Palestine come from anyhow? Well, let me give you some more history for you to consider in all of this as well too. 
You see, the name Palestine, you might be quite surprised to know, did not originate in this area until uh, 135 AD when Emperor Adrian squelched the Second Jewish Revolt. And in an attempt to disperse the Jews, to level the city, the city that you see behind me on the screens right there was not even the city, it was just leveled to the ground. And in deference to the Jews, he hated the Jewish people so much that he gave a new name to that area, a name of their old foes, the Philistines. He called it Palestina. It was a Latin name. He called it, this area is now to be known as Palestina. And so it didn't matter as far as he was concerned whether you were Arab, whether you were Jewish, whether you were Christian, non-Christian, no matter who you were, anybody who lived in this area after, one, uh, after a, 135 AD, you were now Palestinian. See, it was never about a country or a people group. It was about an area that he decreed would now be known as Palestina, as Palestine. Do you know there are some Jewish people today who were born before 1948, that on their birth certificate doesn't say Israel. It says Palestine. All because Emperor Hadrian in 135 AD said, this area will be known as Palestine. So whose land is it? Well, what's the Bible say? Because that has to be the lens, doesn't it? God says in the book of Genesis that uh, the title deed of this land in the Middle East belongs to the Jewish people. Let me show you. In Genesis chapter 15, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and he said to him, I have given you this land. I've given to your descendants all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River. Now, I don't have a picture for this, but I want you to imagine this. I want you to picture the Middle East and I want you to picture everything from the Nile in Egypt all the way across to the great Euphrates River in what we would now know to be Iraq and Syria today. That is a massive area of lands. God said to Abraham, that's yours. That's your land. That's, you've got the title deed to all of that. Now, does Israel hold all of that land for themselves today? No, they don't. And history tells us that down throughout the ages, there's been all kinds of wars and battles and Lines and geography lines have shifted all over the place, but uh, today they own just this very small sliver of land from the west of the Jordan River across to the, across to the Mediterranean Sea. You know, it was in 1947 when the United Nations acknowledged Israel's right to uh, return to their land and to occupy that land. May 15, 1948 is the date that uh, the Jewish people began to return in their hundreds and their thousands and their hundreds of thousands. Today, this little piece of land, it's, it's such a small sliver. We're talking about something that's probably not even a third of the size of the state of Victoria. And there's about 7 million uh, people that live within that small part of the land. But I think this is important for us to understand. When we're wrestling with, well, whose land is this? History tells us that the Jewish people are not occupiers or oppressors as popular media would want you to think they are. They're the indigenous people of this land. And they're living in this land not because Great Britain under Winston Churchill said they could have that part of the land. It's because God said they could have it. It's theirs. God deeded them this territory and so much more in Genesis chapter 15. 
So if you haven't tuned me out yet, you've been very kind and gracious. There's one last question I want to just tackle. Now, why would we consider standing with Israel? You know, as followers of Jesus, as Christians, as people whose lives have been impacted by a Jewish Messiah, you know, why would we stand with Israel? You know, you were... Uh, it's not an easy thing today to say, you know what, I stand with Israel. In fact, I got myself into a whole bunch of trouble the other day uh, when I actually made that statement around a group of protesters and I was very quickly realised in, in a bunch of vitriol that kind of came my way that uh, it is the minority voice to say, to say, you know what, well, I stand with Israel. So, so why would we consider standing with Israel? Let me just give you a couple of biblical reasons, okay? There's all kinds of reasons, and time doesn't allow us to, in this conversation, do that. But let me just give you two real... Well, I'll give you three. Two, two, I'm a preacher. Let me give, I'll give you three good reasons. First and foremost, we must remember that Israel, the nation, has always been very special to God. That's biblical. That's the truth of God's Word. In, Genesis, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, we read this. God says through Moses, for you are a holy people who belong to the Lord your God. Of all the people on earth, the Lord your God has chosen you to be his own special treasure. The Lord did not set his heart on you and choose you because you were more numerous than any other nation. For you were the smallest of all nations. Rather, it was simply that the Lord loves you and he was keeping his oath he has sworn to your ancestors. That is why the Lord rescued you with such a strong hand from your, from, from your slavery and from the oppressive hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. If you had to come up with one reason why you might consider standing with Israel, it's that. We've got to remember that Israel, the nation, has always been very special to God. And whilst the nation as it stands today, for many of them, they don't even acknowledge uh, Yeshua, Jesus, the, the Messiah, and it's a secularized nation. Israel is still the apple of God's eye, and God is still working out his redemptive plan in and through this nation today. That's the first reason. A second reason why we would consider standing with Israel is simply the fact that uh, God's eternal purposes and his great redemptive plan uh, which is found in the book of Genesis, is to bless all the peoples of the world through Israel. In Genesis chapter 12, uh, God said to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. Remember, this is being said to Abraham long before he had any children. Abraham had no idea what this was going to look like. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. God says... I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who treat you with contempt. That were strong words for then and they're still strong words for today. He said all the families, all the peoples. So think about every particular people group in the world. All the people groups in the world said, Abraham, uh, on earth they will be blessed through you. And so I want us to think about that promise today as we think about uh, how we might respond towards Israel. See, the reality as Christians, as individuals who follow Jesus, as we sit here in this room, uh, as people who are following Jesus, 
uh, we have been blessed by this covenant, by this promise that God made with Abraham. That's the reality. And we owe an immeasurable debt of gratitude towards Israel in that sense. Why? It's the simple fact that we have been grafted into the family of God. See, the promises of God weren't just for the Jewish people. It was for all the peoples of the world. You see, we gather here in this room, hundreds of us here in this room, and we've all got a unique individual story of God's grace that's been poured out into our life because of this exact promise. Why would we stand with Israel? We would stand with them simply for that reason as well too. See, when we stand... So let's remember, our Bible is Jewish and our Saviour is Jewish. And so when we stand with Israel... We are linking arms with people like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and we are honouring the spiritual heritage that has been given to all of us, regardless of where we have come from. That's That's the reality of this. Now, that's not to say that we're going to agree completely with everything that Israel has done or will do or that uh, we support the way in which that they have interacted with Arab nations around them. I get that. There are things that Israel does that I grieve over at different times as well too and all of that, but that doesn't stop us from standing with them and, and, and acknowledging that they have certainly got a right to exist. And so when we stand with Israel, we are acknowledging that she is a part of God's redemptive plan, He has not replaced her. And woe, according to the Scriptures, to anyone who seeks to defeat his plans. Here's the third reason. I just wonder. I say this. There's a sense of me saying this today that I think we're being called to stand with Israel because we are maybe the people of the last hour. And I'm not trying to... uh, 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 cause any hysteria over any of that or make any kind of bold predictions but we do know that Jesus is coming back that's what our Bibles say and so the Lord has called us to be uh, people with moral and biblical convictions to walk wisely and to know his word that's what he asks of us to do and when we do that we stand with Israel so what does that look like practically Now, we've answered four questions, but what does that look like practically today on the end of 2023 and as we launch into a new year, uh, we're peering into 2024. What's that look like for us to to practically live in this tension of kind of what's kind of going on in that space and living as followers and disciples of Jesus right here in this country and, and being true to God's Word? What does all that look like for us as we kind of step into all of that? Well, let me just give you... Four quick things around what it might look like for you to stand uh, practically with Israel. Can I just say, you know what? Bendigo Baptist Church is not a sect or a cult. So uh, I can't stand up here today and say, you know what? This is what you will do and everybody just kind of marches to that tune. It's not the way in which it works. And I'm glad it doesn't work that way. You know, we've been given a brain. God asks us to, to, uh, to think for ourselves, to uh, wrestle with these matters. So what's it look like for us to stand with Israel in 2024? First, can I urge us that we ought to be the, uh, we, we, we want to study the scriptures? First and foremost, we want to be known as the Bereans who kind of knew and understood the times and they knew exactly. Well, actually, it was David's mighty men 
who knew and understood the times. They knew exactly what they should do. We want to be people just like that. We want to be uh, students of the words. We don't want to just pick up our Bibles once or twice a month. We want to be living in God's Word. We want to saturate our lives with God's Word. If we're going to live and navigate our way through in 2024, uh, we have to study the Scriptures. We want to be people of the words. Here's the second one. Can I encourage you to equip yourself? How are you going to equip yourself as you think about staying with Israel? Do you know what? Don't just swallow everything that popular mainstream media sends you away. I'm not saying don't look at that, but do you know what? Actually broaden what you're looking at and what you're reading as well too. Can I give you just a couple of YouTube channels that uh, I've been following, and I know some others are as well too, that I've been following for probably three or four years. They're going to come up on the screen so you can see them. But the first one is TV7 uh, Israeli News. Jonathan Heston, who uh, leads that organization, that gives us great information about all things happening coming out of Israel. The other one is Beyond Israel. Uh, with Amir Safadi. Amir Safadi is a former IDF officer who is uh, a Christian and has some great things prophetically. He's speaking into all that's kind of happening in this space as well too. And as you begin to delve into all of those, you'll suddenly begin to find others as well too. And if you're interested, you can come and talk to me and I'll point you some other directions. But what I'm, urge, what I'm urging you to do is not only study the scriptures, but equip yourself, read one of the things that frustrates me is that when I see people demonstrating over things and they're holding up banners, you know what? I think for the most part, most of them don't even know what they're talking about. If you were to ask a young person today when they're talking from the river to the sea, Palestine be free, you ask them what river, they wouldn't even know what river they're talking about or what sea they're talking about. So if you're a young person, educate yourself. Broaden your horizon. Think about the issues. Don't just swallow what TikTok and Facebook and Instagram is feeding through your social media platforms. Think broadly. Third thing, I'm getting passionate now. You know what? Would you consider visiting Israel? It took me 25 years after I'd gotten into ministry to kind of get there. It's been a place that I've been longing to go to for a very long period of time. I'm so glad that I went. And God willing, in 2025, Julie and I want to lead a team from here of anybody who wants to go back into that region for uh, a couple of weeks, because it will change your life. It brings the scriptures alive in ways that you'll have never experienced before, and it will just give you a bit more of an understanding of, of this place that God loves and a part of what he is doing in and through this great country that uh, still exists today. Maybe consider visiting Israel. And last but not least, I think this is really important. Can I urge you? Pray fervently. That's what we need to be doing. We need to pray for Israel. We need to be praying for the innocent Palestinians that are being caught up in all of this. My heart grieves for that. We need to pray for families that have lost loved ones. We need to be praying both for the salvation of Jews and Palestinians. Palestinians. And we need to be praying for an end of the war. The reality is, I've read the Bible from the start to the end. We know how it's going to end. We know that Israel is not going to be obliterated. We know they're a part of God's redemptive plan, but we need to be praying for an end to this war. And ultimately, we need to be praying for the return of the Prince of Peace. Because when he comes, he's going to rule and reign as our Messiah. Amen? Amen. Amen.
Hey, would you join me as I pray? I think that's a very appropriate thing as we uh, kind of come to an end that we pray over some of this. And I'm just going to give you a moment, just maybe quietly where you are, there's maybe things that you're processing, that you're thinking about how you're going to respond, how you want to respond out of this message, and then I will pray as well too. Father in heaven, we thank you for your words. And we thank you that we can look to you in times just like this. Your word tells us that we do not need to be afraid because you promise that you will never leave us nor forsake us. And we thank you for the promises of your word that we we find right back in the book of Genesis that are working their way right out throughout the scriptures that are still uh, unfolding today. God, we thank you for the way in which you deliver on your promises. And we thank you that we can trust in you knowing that you are also coming soon. And so we pray specifically right now that you would bring this war to an end quickly. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And we pray for innocent Palestinian civilians who are opposed to Hamas and believe that Israel has a right to exist. We pray for grieving families. And we even pray for the Israeli troops. And Lord, we especially pray that many Jews and Muslims would come to know Jesus Christ as their own Lord and Saviour. Holy Spirit, would you turn their hearts towards you? We pray that. And Father, I pray that as we move into 2024, that you would enable us as your children, as your sons and your daughters, to live with conviction, to stand up where we need to stand up, to say things even if they may may be unpopular in that moment. Grant us wisdom, give us discernment. Father, we ultimately pray that as we respond to a message like this and as we seek to live as disciples and followers of Jesus in in the coming 12 months, Father, we pray that you be glorified in and through us, in and through our actions, in and through our comments. We pray that you'd have your way in this world for your glory. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.